Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What could be easier to see? Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to another brand new episode of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. It's the podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl Edge, take you, the dear listener, on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. And what is that, you may ask? Well, it is only the simplest, humblest, most ethereal, most effervescent, most mathematical, geographical, historical, literaturical form of being that one can ever attain. And how do we achieve that, I hear you ask? Well, it's simple. We watch every film the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood, Nicolas Cage, has ever been in. So how are you? Hope you well. Hope you've been keeping safe and sound. We are in August at the time of recording. It should be sunny, but it's not. But that's the UK weather for you. Um, As you can probably hear in my voice, I've come down with a little bit of a cold, a little bit under the weather, but uh, not enough to stop me from recording a banger of an episode for you today on Sympathy for the Devil, the latest in Cage's 2023 output. And I was joined by the mighty Petros Patsilavis of Caged In, Caged In Cobra Connections, and some other podcast about Willem Dafoe, which um, I'm sure has no bearing on anything at all. Uh, no, obviously our podcast, Getting Dafoe You, where we cover the works of Willem Dafoe as well. So we thought it'd be in our joint best interests to sort of team up, uh, put out the uh, similar episode on Sympathy for the Devil, Uh, Obviously, different intros and outros, but the same sort of great content in the middle. We cover a lot of ground on this one. We are talking about the the new special effects that they're using for the background shots and the cinematography and how much we enjoyed that. We are talking about the Boston accents and uh, whether we thought it was a thumbs up or thumbs down from Cage. This was described as Cage's most meme-worthy performance in years. I think we'll be the judge of that one. Um, So this was a lot of fun to record. So, you know, let's not keep you waiting too long and to get straight into this one. But if you enjoyed the episode, obviously, let me know in all the usual social medias at cage underscore podcast on Twitter, at cage rage podcast on TikTok, at cage rage pod on Instagram. All the links in the description down below. And if you are listening on Spotify or Apple or Podchaser, anywhere where you can leave a rating, please do let me know that you're enjoying the show. Helps the podcast grow, helps more people get on the journey as well. So with that said, let's get into it. It's Daryl Edge with Petros Patelibus for Sympathy for the Devil. So, This week, it is time to take the ride of our lives in the psychological thriller Sympathy for the Devil. Cage stars as the passenger, a mysterious red-haired lunatic holding a driver at gunpoint. Now joining me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana this week to see if we should be simping for this devil or just trying to send it back to hell is Petros Patsilovus from Caged In, Caged In Coppola Connections, 
and some podcast about Willem Dafoe. Uh, Petros, thank you very much for joining along. Here we are once again talking about okay. Cage. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's good to dip dip a toe into the other pool that we're we're both in but separately and now it's kind of we've converged right i think on on both of our cases and this might be a peek behind the curtain for people it's when you're talking about a film that isn't out yet it's like i don't really i'm, I'm not in the biz i don't know many people who have seen it and the, you put you put feelers out online and it's like well nobody's biting either they don't like this film or they don't like me or Twitter or X or whatever it is called. It's kind of died a death and I'm getting no reach on my tweets or whatever. I don't know what, the, what are they called now? Kisses? Fuck knows. But, um, <laughs> so you're not getting anything on that. So we just thought, you know what? We've got this, we've got this dynamic from the other podcast getting to for you. If, if those of you don't know, now know. Um, and we both seen the film. So why not have a, have a, have a chin wag? about sympathy for the devil and uh oh, i'm excited i'm excited to chat to you about this one daryl i know this is nice isn't it you know um we are referring to our other business it's usually the faux related business at the moment but every now and then we're dipping back into the cage pool and we're speaking about uh, a brand new cage title an exciting little cage title as well sympathy for the devil the uh the stills came out and um you know, there's a, a drumming up some interest if it's one of the weird things about this sounds like a humble brag and i don't mean it to be but when you're um you've picked a lane of an actor to follow and you find yourself somehow with an advanced viewing of the film as, as we've both had and watched separately and we'll get into um it's a thing when when obviously there's no one else to talk to about it and you're under embargo in a very delightful email i will say but you you I was scared to even say that I'd seen this film until the embargo was lifted. I didn't want to be sued yeah. by the American powers that be. I haven't got that kind you of money. That, Not in a cosy Livy crisis. That and like, you get that thing like, I've just seen it from other people doing it. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the letterboxed. No, no stars, just embargo. All caps. Embargo. I saw that. Yeah, very that, nice. That gives you that gives you like some some cachet. Like people go, oh, oh, oh. You 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 inevitably get a couple of DMs off. Oh, oh, and it's like, oh, I can't say anything just yet. Like all in good time, my friends. Like <laughs> people go, kind of, oh, who is who is this big wig that we are we are we are ne we are we are necking with? And it's like uh, just the man who sent out an email to some people and said, please can I watch your film. I know it's the benefit of um, having very kind guests who help you out and having email access. Um, so, obviously, you know, thank you to uh, previous guest on this podcast, Cat, who's sort of hooked yes. us up, hooked us up with a, a little screen of McGee as well. Not for the first time, uh, far too kind, possibly kinder than we deserve. And now here we are, just sweating and panicking that um, the FBI, the ATF, is going to be kicking down <laughs> our doorstep. Um, even now, and at the point of recording, the um, the movies had its premiere at the Fantasia Film Festival. That's right. It's just about to come out, so in a way, it still feels kind of a bit naughty talking about a film early. Yeah, um, it's like, oh god, I don't know. I've I've got to ask you, Daryl, before we kind of get into it. Is like, yeah, what, like you said, you saw those stills, but when, do you remember first like hearing about this film? Do you do you remember like? when you knew it existed i feel like 
because time is just a relative concept in life at this point, and then it all just blends together. I feel there's always this point with Cage, and I've brought it up before, where it's like, there'll be like a period of silence for like a month, and then he announces about 10 films. And you think, Jesus wept, sweet brother in Christ. And then this was one of the various ones that sort of came out of the blue. I feel like it was announced end of 2022, start of 2023. Um, around that time so I think when the general news went out and those stills of him with um, the red hair and the red jacket so I think I think there was a picture of someone who just like met him in a restaurant or something and got a picture of him and that uh, red hair like, yeah oh what's this then hello so this film filmed uh, I believe like yeah during during the summer of of 2022 mm. Oh yeah, July. So exactly like a year ago to the date, really. Like, um, started filming, and I remember there's a Twitter user called Mars whose Twitter handle is at uh, I'm I'm a username or I'm a good user. Oh, yeah, I'm a good user name. Uh, I remember them like being like, just I don't know how. Like, I I never ask people how they get this information. Be like, cages filming a film in vegas with joel kinnaman and it was kind of and i think around a similar time there was a whole thing as well that there was a photo circulating like or there soon after of like nicholas cage's name on the back of like one of those director's chairs on the set of cobra kai and it kind of felt like fever pitch of like so he's, he's just like a film that hasn't been announced because a lot of time obviously stuff gets announced with his name attached and mm-hmm. they haven't even begun filming and this was like they're filming it now and then it was like oh there's a possibility that cage could be in cobra kai as well I so like last that. summer yeah. Like a fever pitch. yeah i remember that like cobra cage cage brakai some some kind of name i tried to pun force together and then yes. the, the new season of cobra kai came out and then he wasn't there um unless he played I don't know, like a beach or something. Has um, <laughs> really got into character with it, but he wasn't there. Um, and then with all with all the other films that are announced, bit by bit, more stuff came out. Obviously, we finally got a, a trailer for the retirement plan. It's been nearly been a year, and we still have no information on Butcher's Crossing. Yeah, uh, yes, yeah, so that that would have premiered at like last September at TIFF, and then like nothing. And I, I even know that it's got. It's got UK distribution. I think it's Altitude Films own the like have the have the distribution rights in the UK for that. Mm, yeah, I just have no idea what their plan is with that film. Whether they, I don't know. Maybe they think it's got Oscar potential and they're holding out for this award season. Maybe it was too late last time. I have to imagine there's just some kind of Three Stooges hijinks where people are just chasing a reel of film down like some kind of long boulevard as we speak. <laughs> the only cut of Butcher's Crossing has been lost to the wind, and he's at uh, at the bottom of the ocean with the with the Titanic in that submarine. Is that too soon? Too soon? Uh, too soon? No. No. Fine, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, some billionaires got imploded. What are you going to do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you're a billionaire listening, um, sorry. Um, but yeah, we got we got sympathy for the devil, and then the trailer came out for this one. Um, and I was I'd say quietly confident. I was like, quietly like, I think this could be all uh-huh. right. I think this could be all right. And this was sort of touted as um, 
I think it was even the producer had sort of tweeted saying this is Cage's uh, most like meme worthy performance in years, and you know, again, not to sound like we're, our heads are up our own asses here. If anyone's going to judge that, yeah, we'd <laughs> <laughs> be the bloody judge of that, pal. <laughs> I'll be the in judge of what's a meme worthy performance. I'll have you. I've been in the trenches. I've been in the trenches. I've said them all. <laughs> <laughs> I've done my time in Azkaban, thank you very much. I've 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 done I've done your best of times. I've done your birdies. I've done your I've done, I said, birdies a great film, but I've, I've done your boy in blues. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I was there for the DVD stretch of the twenty tens. <laughs> All right, I've done it. I've done my time. So that's a it's a very big claim to make. Um. And this is this is very much a two person performance in this film um, between Cage and uh, Joel Kinnaman as well. Joel Kinnaman, like, he's one of those people. That, like, I like Joel Kinnaman, and I, I hate sort of saying this. I don't mean to speak dismissively of any actors, but like, I sort of go, um, like, "Oh, you're you're that guy from that thing." And I completely forgot he was uh, Rick Flag in the recent The Suicide Squad film by Jane yeah, Gunn. Yeah. Like, I loved The Suicide Squad. I thought that was brilliant. Um, so the trailer painted like an interesting picture and, um, then it sort of came along and watched the film and I was like, yeah, that was all right. That was all right. I think I enjoyed it. I think I mostly enjoyed it. Um, his most meme worthy performance, obviously we'll get sort of more into it. There's definitely some cage screaming in there. It's, oh, we'll get, we, we'll, yeah, we'll get to that. I've got, I've got, my notes consist mainly of quotes of just kind of maniac things that he says throughout this film. But um, before we get too deep into it, Daryl, should we, should we, should we set the table for people and t- tell them who, who is in this? Who, yeah, who, who are the key players in this film? As you mentioned, this film stars Nicolas Cage and Joel Kinnaman. I don't think we really need to say anyone else because they're kind of, it's a two man. It's, it's like this podcast. It's two men strapped into a car, just going insane. Do you know what I mean? I, oh, I, yeah. I, it's going to get to a point. I'm like, you're not Daryl. You're that man I knew. You're that man I knew, Daryl, from years ago. <laughs> I'm just going to turn to you like, I'm your podcast emergency now. <laughs> so this film is directed by Yuval Adler. It's written by Luke Paradise. Um, the fun fact about this one is the first film to be filmed in the new Las Vegas LED soundstage, which I think is something we can get into the the look of the film. Mm. Uh, as time of recording, we have no budget information for this film and no box office because this film has not been released. Um, the release date is the 28th of July, 2023. And as mentioned earlier, it premiered at Fantasia Festival on the 22nd of July, 2023. It currently has a 7 out of 10 on IMDb and a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes based off of 39 reviews with no audience score. And that's kind of the, the stats for this film. And I'll hand over to you, Daryl, for a for a for a plot synopsis of what Sympathy for the Devil is all about. Absolutely. So, the lowdown on this one. Now, before he can get to a hospital to visit his wife, a man finds himself at gunpoint driving around a dangerous passenger in a deadly high-stakes game 
of cat and mouse. And that is your uh, your sympathy for the devil are right there. And a, and a delightful 90 minutes as well. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Oh, I've got so much time for a 90-minute film. Oh, I love them. I love them. As soon as this, you know, the screener came through and it was 90 minutes, I was like, I'll watch this twice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, like myself, I watched this three times. Uh, I'll, I'll say this up front. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not too butthurt about it, the wounds of Hilt. Uh, I watched this the second time because I was uh, lined up to interview the director of this film, Evil Adler, and a day before was told, oh, he's, no, he's not, he's not doing press now, which, like, I I put it down to the fact that he's, like, solidarity with the actors and the writers. He's not he's not promoting his film. I don't know. It could, it could be that he's lost bottle in, in this film, which would be un, unjust, because it's a it's a it's a fun it's a fun film but uh yeah so i i had that happen and then when we agreed to do this i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna bloody watch it a third time as is your right as is your right get your money's worth you got it for free (laughs) as is your right to do so so obviously reviews are still coming in as well as we sort of speak um it's almost as if when we're recording this and when this film is released, there's some kind of massive other film event going on, some kind of plastic doll, atomic bomb-related film event of the year that's going on. I'm sure that's got nothing to do with it. But, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, here we are. But this was a nice change of pace for this movie as well. Um, I think I, I did see an interview that Mr. Adler had done elsewhere, and he did say, he can't all just be Barbie and Oppenheimer, if you like. Something punky, that's our film as well. I think there is a, a bit of like a punk spirit to this there, um, a bit more low down, a bit more gritty as well. Um, I saw that Cage described it as flashy, dark, and amusing, which um, I think I'd agree with. Yeah, I'd like this is kind of perfect counter-programming, and I imagine like they kind of know this isn't this isn't going up against Barbie and Oppenheimer. This is kind of like... And and uh, we're at a time, we're at kind of crossroads in films anyway, where we're going to see like a lot of stuff being pushed back, if not like till like next year because of the writers and actors strike. A lot of films have like halted production and stuff like that. So like, it's just nice, if anything, to have new films to to see. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, like let's not take this for granted because it's gonna it's gonna come to a point like where unless Jack you know I mean? they're kind of straight to streaming we're probably not gonna you know I mean? if it revolves on cast doing interviews we're probably not gonna see them films for a while <laughs> you know well uh, you know solidarity with the writers and the actors of course i mean i hope we we were not we're not considered scabs by being UK podcasters, are we? We're not scabs. I don't want to be. A scab. We're not scabs. No, no, because we're not. We're, if 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 we were going hot after writers and actors right now, if we if we, if we went and now an interview with Joel Kinnaman, like we would either have to say this was recorded pre pre strike, like going on date, or or if we've managed, yeah, he would be the scab, not us. But still, we would we would look unfavourable for sure. 
let's just stress that is a hypothetical Joel Kinnaman. If you are listening, we do not think you're a scab. We think you're a very lovely no. actor and man. No, no, no. <laughs> you're, you're, the, you're the Rick Flag of my heart. <laughs> and we we will wave your Rick Flag until the end, Kinnaman. Yes. Make no mistake about it. So this movie, getting into the movie now, obviously this is a two-person movie. This is Kinnaman, this is Cage. I think about a third of this movie, maybe 35, 40 minutes, is probably just them two in the car, just interacting yeah. and uh, driving around. And I will say as well, because I think you know this sort of comes into the whole overarching conversation of the movie as well, um, the, the cinematography of this movie, as you touched on early with the LED sort of environment walls, I think it was at View Studios, um, yeah. VU it's called, yeah, View Technologies, I think it is. View yeah. Technologies. I mean, I will say, like, the, the cinematography, uh, Stephen Holler and the cinematographer on this, I thought it was, like, excellent. It was really good. Like, the lighting was, like, moody and atmospheric, and it seemed realistic. And the first time watching, sort of prior to uh, any more in-depth research, I I could not have told you for any money in the world that most of this movie was filmed inside a studio. No, no, no. I would have assumed that this, like, it's kind of got the feel that they are kind of on the outskirts of Las Vegas, just kind of like filming super late at night. Do you know what I mean? This yeah. kind of felt like this was like a load of night shoots, just like kind of running, gunning, like great stuff with like a, a, a rigged up car that's kind of because it doesn't even feel at times it feels like joel kinnaman is driving yeah. you don't get the sense of you don't get that like i guess some of it is technology has moved on as well when you remember like you could get it and like it looked like the background just like like moving behind them and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. this and i think it uses like element because I, I can i can only surmise that the budget for this isn't kind of like a whopping, do you know what I mean? This isn't, yeah, of course. You know, yeah. This isn't a whopping budget, but it uses that to its advantage. It's all kind of like dimly lit, and you kind of get like the lights in the background and stuff like that. Of, of like, and the fact that it's set in Vegas, but like doesn't utilize like the strip or anything like that. And I kind of, I kind of love it for that. It weirdly reminded me of a, of another Cage film, which is The Trust, which kind of again is like. LA uh, Las Vegas set but like like a Las Vegas that you don't really get to see yeah on screen and it's interesting in the kind of oeuvre of cage right that you have leaving Las Vegas where it is kind of like you get a bit of the strip but you also get some of the like seedier aspects of Las Vegas and then you've got honeymoon in Vegas which is like we're on the strip baby do you know what I mean it's like yeah. Elvis impersonators and <laughs> dancers and stuff like that and like person that you're in sight <laughs> and then like this is yeah th this is kind of uh another uh, yeah just that he can have these films that are in such an iconic place but they all kind of feel vastly different and this is this is this is this is one of them that kind of well as we've learned doesn't utilize las vegas at all because it's in a fucking studio <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like really old saying this, but I was like, there, there was a, a like quite a brief like three four minute clip sort of put on online by the studio who did it and saying how they sort of achieve the effects and it's the environment walls that they're using, and it looks 
great like it's it, like the cinematography is like very good it feels like intimate and then you feel like you're in the car you feel like joel kimmon is actually driving like you said i think far gone away for the days where it's just like a single camera at the front of like just the front of a cut out car chassis and someone driving on a straight road and just moving their hands all around the wheel to simulate driving yeah so you know you know i i don't toot the the, the horn of um car scenes in movies every day but I think if this is the future of car scenes in movies, then I think uh, we're going in the right direction, certainly. So the the like, sorry to sound ignorant here, but is the kind of studio setup that they're in similar to like the volume, the way that they film um, the Mandalorian, like this kind of, yeah, just walls of LED, like a kind of cylindrical walls of leds that they go inside of or how 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 is it set up yeah it seems to be pretty similar to that that's probably uh the closest comparison that there was it seemed to be like it's obviously that they've pre-filmed sort of driving down roads and stuff and obviously just the way it's sort of reflected with all the lighting and the rigs and the setups and stuff it just looks very realistic um so Obviously, no, no little Grogu's in this one. Nicholas Cage is not; <laughs> he's not the, not the Mandalorian. Although I, I know he said he's a Trekkie at heart, so I don't think we're going to get him in Star Wars anytime soon, unfortunately. But but no, like obviously, then, then they've got like the camera sort of in the car as well, so you you do feel up close and personal. And I think it all helps to add to um, there is like an underlying tension throughout this movie. Um, which I think is executed pretty well. Um, I know I've seen, to be fair, I think as soon as the trailer came out for this one, um, there was just a lot of comparisons to, oh, this is basically collateral. This is collateral, but with Nick of this cage. And I, I know of collateral. I don't think I've seen it, or if I have, it's been a very long time since I've seen it. But I went over like the description of it, and it seems, I get why people say it's basically collateral because it's two men in a car. Yeah, as soon as you've got two men in the car, like Michael Mann's collateral is going to be like kind of like yeah the high benchmark for it, and that 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 yeah that is kind of like a work of of kind of great digital photography. It's kind of Michael Mann messing around with that, and like it is kind of like a and it's it's a standout like Tom Cruise performance, right? Because it's like it's Tom Cruise not doing what Tom Cruise does. He's playing like a bit of a shit. Do you know what I mean? He's like, <laughs> not running around and jumping off of things. Yeah, he's he's playing a man who's probably more age like he looks a bit more age appropriate with grey hair and he's kind of like yeah. this this assassin as opposed to like yeah, jumping out of helicopters and <laughs> Tom Tom Cruise notoriously uh, the enemy of gravity. Um does yeah. does not care for being on the ground, does Tom Cruise. Yeah. If he if he ever has his feet on two feet on the ground at any one time, he gets very anxious and he books a plane immediately uh to but- be in the air that that comparison though it's also lazy it's like that thing as soon as the trailer came out for pig right we've kind of we've been here in the in the in the in the kind of near past with cater it's like as soon as the kind of premise of pig was announced it's like oh so what you're telling me is it's taken with a pig and it's yeah, like yeah well there are so many stories that can be told with that like something is taken from you and you go on a hunt for it and like we saw with that film, it's a vastly different and moving film than Taken is. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like the, 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 the I, I would say 
the speech that Nicolas Cage gives in the in the kind of center of that film compared to Liam Neeson's like I have a set of skills like conversation pig nearly brings me to tears like um Liam Neeson's speech kind of like makes me laugh like they're completely different and like I say <laughs> taken didn't make you cry uh, yeah 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 because it didn't get to see you two in concert come on <laughs> another <laughs> film where you two are used as a plot point what are you two doing yeah i know i know um but i think i think there should be scope for people to make like it's a great concept right just two people in a car is like that I'm 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 happy for that to be a genre. I've one person in a car. Do you know what I mean I'll, I'll watch Lock any day of the week with uh, uh, Tom Hardy playing an angry Welshman driving down the motorway? Yes, please. <laughs> right. I think it speaks to that thing though. When one one film is very popular for doing a particular thing, and obviously the John Wick thing is obviously the most apt comparison. Like any time there is animal in peril, or someone is a bit vengeful, like oh, this is like John Wick. I think even with like the retirement plan trailer now, people are saying like, "Oh, this is Cage doing John Wick." It's like, no, he was never doing John Wick. He's 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 doing a character who's yeah 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 yeah, who's sad about pig or sad about other thing in retirement plan. Well, I think it just speaks to like the kind of how reductive like our brains have got in the modern age, where like everything has to be. Do you know what I mean? I've it's 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 this or it's this meets this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the kind of the one for retirement plan is like, oh, it's the beach bum meets John Wick. Do you know what I mean? Or it's like, I don't know, like nobody is like, oh, it's it's old man John Wick. Do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of like and yeah, it, yeah it's great. That kind of gets people into it, but then like I don't sometimes, yeah, like with pig, that can that can end up with people being disappointed. They're like, oh what? It's not cage doing like John Wick with a pig. Do you know what I mean? I mean <laughs> yeah, yes. Hogwick. <laughs> it's it's not Golden Hogwick, and it never was. And I think like I think this movie does enough to be different from Collateral. Because I know with Collateral, like as you said, Tom Cruise is like is notably a shit throughout it. With this one, I have to go back to the synopsis. It is more of that cat and mouse thing to be like, right? Who is Cage? Uh, Joel Kinnaman, aka the uh, the driver, is clearly seems to be someone there's a bit more mystery about who is who in this film um and about how they sort of reveal that story as like the running time of the film goes on as well um i think it i think if there's if there's sort of a negative of it you you can kind of see where it's going i don't think they need any to real to any real detriment of the movie but as soon as cage's character the passenger starts dropping these little hints saying um you were in, were you in boston when was the last time you went to boston and it's like oh this is and then uh kinnaman's character replies he says like oh this is a uh, i'm about i was trying to do his accent and it's a very weird boston accent i was very nearly doing a christopher walken there he's like so why were you in boston there's a very this is a very strange error this early in the in the day to make for you wow um <laughs> And then he yeets himself off of a, off a, off of a, in a mall. I know that's, that's, that's New Rose Hotel. So get my podcast. He might as well have done. Um, <laughs> but it, it goes like, I, I think, you know, that there's going to be a reveal about, about uh, the driver 
aka David, aka James, aka David again. Um, so I, I think like when the reveal happens, it's kind of like, yeah, I think I kind of saw this coming. Like I'm not surprised that there was more to this. Um, but it's I think he does enough over the runtime to sort of keep you interested. I think that largely comes down to the performances as well that really um carry a lot of the weight of this movie on the shoulders as well, I found. Well, I I I feel like the kind of elephant in the room of this film is is kind of the reveal. So should we should we get that out of the way and then we can kind of like get into the meat and potatoes or should we should we should we park that and get to it when it kind of comes up in the film? Like um, I don't mind. Or, or should we say, let's start at the start where all things should be started, um, yes, 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 as they say yes. at the start committee. So we sort of pick up with uh, Joel Kinnaman's character. And just to say, we'll, we'll probably be using his character's name interchangeably as Kinnaman, Driver, David, James. We'll try to explain them as we go along. I think Kinnaman speaks for itself, but he is advertised as the driver in this movie because he drives. And he's taking his son into a relative's house and they talk about how they'd lost a child previous to him and we understand that his his wife is in labour and he's trying to get to the hospital to take her an overnight bag because this uh, new child to the world is imminent. Uh, The wife is in labour. So he gets to the... He drives to the underpass and this is when, you know, we get introduced to... Cage's character, aka the passenger. Pick a card, pick a card. I love it. Like what? A, what a kind of great opening line from Cage, right? He's like, uh, pick a card. Like, <laughs> hey, pick a card. He's he. You know, it's it's a very like bold opening. He gets in his like, hey, like I'm not, I'm not a cab driver. Like obviously, there's been some mistake here. He's like, pick a card. And as soon as he started going on about like pick a card, I just started thinking of Eddie from Deadfall. And I was like, yeah, and like, he's back, baby. I knew, I knew the cage multiverse was real. Eddie continues yeah. right here, right the, now. The, the, the Joker's heart. You know, is it? Like, yeah, like, Joker's wild. The Joker's wild. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> he, was, he was almost back. There's some Eddie flavor in there. There's some Eddie, and there is, there is a shot, and we'll get to it. There is a moment that Cage does, which is very Peter Lowe. And like, yeah, you, you, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to it. It's kind of excited to get into, get into some of this. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of these flashes of like, and I, and I've, I feel very on the nose. Thought quite my own podcast name here. Very of these like notable sort of cage rage moments. Well, this is when things start, and it's quite of a quite of a striking appearance. I think obviously there's meant to be some kind of. Um, devil imagery, devil symbology, because there's references to devil and gods sort of um, sporadically throughout the movie as well. But he's got the red sort of suit jacket on. It's like a smoking jacket kind of thing. I've I've got to know. So like apparently Cage turned up with that hair, right? That was like, he was not, that was not discussed. He t- turned up to set with the dyed red hair. <laughs> Did he turn up <laughs> with that wardrobe as well? Because that feels like that's straight out of the Nicolas Cage closet do you know what I mean that's not like that's not like, like if you if you saw photos of him be. just like milling about you'd be like oh yeah that's that's cages like that's not a character <laughs> well it has to be i know um this this is in his wheelhouse to do again there was another interview with um with the director yuval adler that i read and 
he was saying that like for about six to seven weeks before filming cage was just like fully in on the film and just prepping 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 and obviously exaggerating but he was like he probably sent me about ten thousand emails and texts saying like what if we do the line this way what about this line what about this what about that and then he basically said he had so many ideas for his character that he described him as a volcano he was just always erupting with ideas a little volcano (laughs) (laughs) so at this point so i think knowing cage the way that we do i have to imagine that anytime you get cage like locked in for your film you don't need to hire wardrobe for him no he will turn up with just some absolute shit hot jackets well, and the, the, like Cage lives in Vegas, so it just feels like it's probably like knocking about at home during the day or whatever, and then just be like, his wife probably went, "Oh, uh, you, you're supposed to be filming that film tonight." He's like, oh shit! Yeah, let's get this jacket on. Like the the dye's just dried in his hair, and he's whipping out the door. Do you know what I mean? like, <laughs> just run down the road. It was like, oh, you got red hair, got this kind of like devil goatee going on as well. Um, he's got. He's, he's kind of like, what, like two or three guns on him? He's got the hip flask. Um, I think he says like he's got $2,000 boots. I have to imagine that those are Cagey's own boots as well. Yeah. yeah, they're like some kind of like le- like leather cowboy boot kind of thing going on. Like they're, they're very, It's all very ca- – I love it. I, lo- I, lo- I love that, like – but that feels like Cage's – I don't know. Because at the same time, it doesn't – from the Cage we know as a man, it doesn't feel like him. It very much does feel – like a character and it's like yeah. i like the fact he's unnamed like we never learn his name right throughout the whole film no we we obviously the film only ever names him as the passenger um and then as the film goes on i think you can sort of referentially call him the bookkeeper based on a story yeah. that he tells later on as well um so he sort of drops these sort of tidbits of information about this story about why why he's doing what he's doing to the driver as well. Um, and then he's obviously he's got the Boston accent, which I've, I've seen some sort of criticism of the accent. I mean, obviously it, it's relevant to the story when you learn more about him and he says he's telling it, but what would your sort of thoughts on the accent as well? Because, I mean, I, I don't think I, I minded it. I think my only issue is that if I tried to do a Boston accent, it's, as we've seen, it's, it's just Christopher Walken. Well, I think with the Boston accent, you've got to... It's like your fucking. I know your fucking mother. Like I always end up having to swear if I do a Boston accent. It's like, and it's something I don't. It's almost like in the back of your throat. Do you know what I mean? Like it's fucking hard, hard, ah. Do you know what I mean? It's hard, like a cat. Like reg- ah, 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 ah. <laughs> if you if you are from Boston and you're listening, um, <laughs> uh, fuck, go fuck yourself, eh? Go fuck. <laughs> I'm from Boston. It's the hard eyes, you motherfucker. It's the hard eye. Give us a fuck in there, you fucking fuck. Can I get a couple of Boston creams? That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's as far as my Boston knowledge extends to. Right right now, the listeners from Boston are, are like, uh, 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 tuning out like it's an episode to take me out. Do you know what I mean? Boo, 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 boo. And anyone in Boston will not get that reference <laughs> as well. So. We lost them. That was, that was strictly for the British audience there. <laughs> Boston podcasters, reveal yourself. <laughs> Paddy McGinnis taking us to capturing us in a building with flaming torches and pitchforks for, for what we've done to ruin the Boston podcasting community. 
Um, Let the Boston see the shamrock. <laughs> Let the Boston see the cream. Um, <laughs> God, if, if 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 my other half can hear me now, who is from the north, she'll be very upset. Um, I apologise. <laughs> there is there is context to this. Uh, no, I, I didn't I didn't mind the accent. I saw some people sort of trashed it online, but I think at the start, it's kind of like, oh, is cage with a bit of a voice it's something different i think it just takes like a minute just to be like okay now i'm tuned into it yeah it, like at, at times he does drop it like but like sometimes he drops it because he takes on a whole new affectation like he does um <laughs> he almost like shoots himself in the foot because he does like an impression of i can't remember the like old hollywood star's name like almost like a like a humphrey bogart type and he starts speaking like this like and then like that kind of affects his voice from from there on out oh yeah he he says the name of the person and when he goes like yeah see it's like robert is it robert g something i could have sworn i made this as a note i don't think i put it down but um just just google actor who says yeah see um and then this part of the podcast will make complete sense and you'll look back on this retroactively and think, yes, your boys have smashed it yet again. But I, I think, I think I was thinking about this, like it's, it seems to have been a while, I think, since we've had. Um, I'm, Edward, I'm Edward G. Robinson, see? Edward G. Robinson, that's the Robert G. Why was I talking about? Cancel me, I'm wrong again. I think it's, I think with the exception of Renfield, um because obviously that's kind of a well-established dracula is a well-established sort of character in the lore of like pop culture and horror and everything but i suppose like dare i say like an original sort of villain it seems to have been a while since we've had that from cage um when he was like the out and out sort of bad guy in like a a new sort of venture yeah and there is a genuine um uh menace to cage in this i think as soon as he gets in the car and he's like, um, the, the driver's like, oh, you, I need to go and see my wife. It's a family emergency. And he gets the gun out and he's like, I'm your family emergency now. I was like, oh, that's actually kind of chilling. That's actually kind of chilling. And I think what Cage does to create menace through this character as well is like some of it is silence. Like he just like holds this silence for like, bit too long that kind of just makes like makes use the audience you can only imagine how that's making like the driver feel in the fact that like it's, uh, you can like you can see the cogs whirring in his mind and it's almost like he's like overcome like with yeah, he's like he's it's like a man possessed and yeah he's kind of he's striking it's like as soon as you kind of see him on screen and you're like what the f-? like uh, first time watching it, i was like i have no idea who this guy is what his intentions are yeah. do you know what i mean yeah. it's, it's kind of it's yeah and it's slowly passed out throughout it what, what they are but even then it's like it just keeps ramping it up high higher and higher and it's kind of the moments of levity as well for the audience are moments where we like being in that situation you imagine are even more terrifying like do you mean like this guy is totally unhinged yeah and i think that's kind of what the film um obviously puts a lot of its sort of stake into is the menace of cage and the passenger sort of pushing this narrative forward about 
what is he going to do? What does he want? Who is this guy? And I think that the interactions and I think I think you, you I can't remember if we, if we said this on or off record, but um, a lot of my notes as well are very much quotes of cages throughout this movie as well, which just kind of capture all these different just elements just of, just of him being a, a maniac really because obviously he says i'm you all family emergency now and then there's the part where they sort of stop for fuel and uh kinnaman's character is trying to mouth help to that stranger at the gas station but he doesn't get that help and it's when he starts sitting in the front with him as well it's like um it's kind of a personal talking to the back of your fucking skull and he's always got that gun on him it's like you just don't know when he's gonna when it's gonna pop yeah, and I, th- I think the moment like it kind of elevates a bit higher as well is at the gas station where he kind of says like, "I could have been following you and your wife and your kids and stuff like that," and it's like then you realise like, "Oh, this is there's definitely something like even more personal here." Do you know what I mean? Like this could have been a guy just fucking with someone to begin with, and like this could all be a joke, but it's like obviously the driver is like, uh okay i've got shit in my past so maybe this could be someone that i'm like do you know what i mean that i've wronged yeah. or something yeah it's th- those first tidbits when he's asking if you've ever been to boston before when did you stop drinking and he says i went to uh, boston 15 years ago for business and then um it's like uh, you know this like uh, this is an error this early in the on the evening it's not really like you and then he, he he starts telling this story that his mother's got lung cancer. It's kind of like, no, is, is that even real? And then these sort of new elements and he's sort of drinking as well. The the moment that got me is when he asks him, like, when like when will I be able to go home? And Cage like replies, Why would you assume you'll be you'll be ever going home again? And it's like fuck. Imagine being told that by someone. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 menacing, and there was you get that kind of thing where um, the driver is trying to sort of relate to him because obviously he he doesn't know what he's in for, and he's trying to sort of give him this sort of relatable sympathy story and about how his mother was a victim of domestic abuse by his father, um, but then he's just like because he gets cut off, he just goes. You fucking prick! It's <laughs> <laughs> like just the, like the dark absurdity of it. Like just because he did cut him off, and I, I was I was watching that. I was like, I get why you did it, but that is actually kind of rude. <laughs> then it was just that very. I think that was the start of when the cagesms start to yeah. come in a bit more. But now, if I ever get um, <laughs> if someone interrupts me, I'm just gonna go. You fucking prick! <laughs> Noah's Noah's going to understand what I'm referencing. Uh, I think if you want to shit someone up, you just need to start quoting like Frederick Nietzsche or do you know what I mean like stuff like that. Like there is a moment like around here when I think it's after the phone call has happened and like Cage is there just like a teenage boy because like his wife's his wife's on loudspeaker and she's like moaning because she's in labour and like Cage is going. Uh, 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 uh. Like, who is that like, oh, i've just got the window open in the car don't worry about that honey and then like just afterwards are kind of having a conversation and like cage delivers this in like a whisper I kind of had to rewind it a couple of times to find out what he said and it's 
the devil may start to envy those who suffer too deeply and throw them out into heaven. And it's like, what the, like, do you know what I mean? If, if somebody, if you were, if you're in close quarters in a car and somebody said that to you, I'd be like, I'm, you know, I would do what Joel Kinnaman does in this one. Then and there, I would, I would open the door and throw myself out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't blame him for doing it. There's, um, I think, I think one of the scenes that really sort of stands out for me is when, uh, I think it's just before he jumps out of the car and does that sort of barrel roll all over the shop where they get pulled over by the police uh, or mm-hmm. that police officer and um, is it, Cage is kind of like antagonizing. Like, is it, well, it's about the flow of traffic, the flow of traffic. If they're going over the speed limit, you've got to go over the speed limit so you don't stop crashing. Um, and then the guy's like, look, get, you need to give me license registration and shut up. And then his, one of his, his quotes next that I really enjoyed was, all they did was ask a question, and this big cock of a police officer asked me to get out of the car. I'm not going to reward that type of behaviour. And I thought, yeah, yeah, you, you do you. You tell you tell that police officer what's up. <laughs> but then it turns into like it. Like I wasn't expecting the sort of like this almost pulp level of violence because he shoots that officer's face to mush. Yeah, like it was actually like. You know when you don't expect it because the film doesn't set you up for that, and then like there's just bits yeah. of of officer on the floor. Uh huh. I was like, oh well, okay, shit. Because he pulls out a second gun and unloads the clip in his brain. I was like, yeah, I love fuck. the fact that he's like he's got this kind of like small kind of like I don't know, like handbag gun you could almost call it. Do you know what I mean? Very like dainty and like something that's easily concealable. And then in the back of his trousers, he's got this absolute cannon. He's like, no, at close quarters, blowing a policeman's head off. I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need this desert eagle. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like okay. I I think that was the point of the film that really sold me. Like, okay, right. That there's going to be an additional element of this movie that. I wasn't sort of prepared for and I can't like, well, yeah, it's, the it's, danger. It's when the, it's when the camera just cuts, right. And it's, it shows you the damage of it. It's like, Oh, okay. Like this is going somewhere else. Like I thought like, yeah, the you know I mean? implied violence. Like, no, no, we're showing you actual, we're showing you the damage of this, which yeah. we didn't have to do. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, like I said, it's an extra layer of the film that I kind of wasn't expecting, but that's kind of, one of those bits that kind of really hooks you back in, like okay, mm-hmm. okay right, I'm I'm in the car, like I'm 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 good to go, um, and then it sort of gets to that bit that you were on about where it's um, uh, he jumps out of the car, he str- he tries to crash it and escape, obviously he, he leaves his phone, and then um, the passenger sort of implies that he knows where his wife is in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But then there's like a lot of good quotes here as well, which is just more quotes in my notes. Um, it's, it's when he's saying about like when his wife gave, because he's pretending he's like a guy who works at the gift shop. Is yeah, like, yeah. In the kind of foyer of the, of the hospital. And he's kind of saying like, yeah, when my wife gave birth, it's like, it was, it was golden shower time. Like, <laughs> your sex. Yeah. I sort of, I wrote it down. He was like, um, let me get my best Boston, Boston, Boston accent. When my wife was pregnant, there was so much pressure on her bladder. It was bitching. There was a golden shower cascading all over the doctor's face. It was sexual, man. 
<laughs> and then he's got the broken nose. Obviously, the car has crashed. And he's like, I dressed up for this night. Now you break my nose. I wanted to be 100% sex tonight. And you cut that in half. I'm now 50% sex. <laughs> I was like, you motherfucker. Like, this is this like the number of times, like, I will say this much. Obviously, they said it was a meme worthy performance. I had to pause this film a lot so I could go back and make sure I had the exact quotes down. Yeah. I felt obliged to do it. Yeah. I wanted to be 100% sex. Like, that feels like something that's going to be pulled out that clip, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Just like. <laughs> Yeah. Like that, that's gonna become a meme of its own. Get ready for the next big TikTok meme. Get, give it time. <laughs> you know that thing that happens, like a film comes out and then it sort of goes away, and then like a year or two later, all the memes start popping up. But you know, start start putting your little chips on this one. This is this is going to come back for meme purposes. I can feel it in my plums. Well, because they get back in the car, like because basically, I think the the, the driver realizes like it's kind of futile. Like he knows he potentially knows the room now. Like I've got to carry on with this, and then Cage starts telling a story of like the mucus man, the mucus man, yes, <laughs> and it's just like what the fuck is going? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what 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 even spurs on that conversation? He says something about like he's. I think because he's got the broken nose, he starts talking about the fact that he's never been happy because of his sinuses, um, which leads him to this absolutely fucking absurd story about the mucus man, who is, I think from the description, um, so I thought he was describing Slenderman at first, but it's actually just worse. It's like it's a skinny bald man in a suit and tie. He has a briefcase full of boogers. And he, it's amazing what what great alliteration a briefcase full of boogers <laughs> he, <laughs> that's, that's the name of my first ep <laughs> briefcase full of boogers um it, it, he said that the, the mucus man glides across the floor like a snail and he sprinkled the boogers into into his nose and um, because of that he's had issues with his sinuses ever since and i wish you know, I get it's a stressful situation. I wish the I wish the driver had asked more questions about the mucus man because I've got yeah. more questions about the mucus man. Does he just visit once? Does he come back? How do you stop the mucus man? I'm seeing an animated as well. You know, like a kind of uh, like <laughs> like mucus relief advert. Do you know what I mean? Like some kind of like whipped up in an afternoon animation of just like this, like the mucus man comes yeah, in, like drops sliming. And get 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 Vicks va- like vapor sticks to get rid of the mucus man. And he's, as he gets destroyed. <laughs> December's here, and the mucus man is outside your door. Yeah. Keep the mucus man at bay with Beecham's. <laughs> just a, just a, a man with a briefcase full of boogers rattling at the window, going foiled yeah, by your Beecham's money's- again. <laughs> <laughs> that your briefcase full of boogers is not tent it's not it's not, it's not currency here sir <laughs> you're like the chancellor of the exchequer <laughs> your boogers have no power here mucus man <laughs> <laughs> just a big like <sighs> do you know what I mean like a big, a big like uh prison doors shut on the mucus man. <laughs> I think this is when they're going to start like a some kind of Nicolas Cage Avengers just for like creatures in his films, like him and the fucking Cheddar Goblin. 
Yes. Yeah, that's how it starts. They're going to get their own films, like the Mighty Mucus Man, uh, the 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 crazy Cheddar Goblin. I don't know the Great Cheddar Goblin. I don't know. They're all, they're both slimy creatures as well. Cage Cage has got these great little slimy creatures that follow him around. And like, I hope this film catches on just so we get some kind of like fan art from somebody who is a lot more like talented at art than either of us <laughs> to give us give us an il- illustration of the mucus man. Yeah, Nick Cage Fury is going together oh. making a um an Avengers team of just oddballs and creatures. Like I'm sure there'll be some kind of creature from a previous film that we've not, not. I'm sure they can get speckles from uh, G force as well. Cages, uh, cages mole. Oh, it, it, yes. it be a part of the team. It's me, the mucus man of the channel. <laughs> yeah, that's, this is the future of cinema. Get those LED walls that they have the car. Get the mucus man in there. Whoa, go on. This, yeah, take your take take your Mattel extended universe. Stick it up your ass. We want the we want the cage. We want the, we want the cage. Very minor referenced characters. Extended universe. Please. <laughs> the, the literal MC. The CMCU cage minor characters universe. That's the one that I'm talking about. Um, but then, sort of, you know, unfortunately, they just dropped the mucus man uh, from whence he came in a briefcase of boogers. And then they get to the diner. Actually, a very big, significant scene in the diner. We get a few more sort of um, characters into the fray, getting pulled into this sort of night of madness. And very, very quickly, you know, we we understand the passenger is very unhappy about. Um, the no substitutions rule that you can't take a tuna melt and swap a cheese for another cheese or I think he's got a point though like cuz he he delivers a line saying you cannot put you cannot put mozzarella on a tuna melt uh, yeah you can't I guess it, this is the question like cheddar or mozzarella and i'm i'm not a tuna melt kind of guy i'll put that i'm there. not a tuna man anyway but i don't think a melted cheese in that country i mean like a a kind of something and cheese sandwich, like a, a toasty. It's cheddar all the way, baby. I think you know. I've I've had a subway or two in my time, and I think you've got to go cheese and toasted. The the, the slices, not not the grated stuff. Yeah. Stick to the classics. Um, although there was a friend of mine back from school whose go to was just was literally just a toasted tuna sandwich, no salad, no sauce, just bread. Oh. Um, he once had a carvery, which was just gammon, boiled potatoes, and um, carrots with salt on it. <laughs> this is a true story. This is. <laughs> is that man now in prison? Because that's uh, he sounds like he'd get on with the mills. You get, do you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> I mean, absolutely no doubt in my mind that his lifespan is shortened and riddled with diabetes. <laughs> It wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all. Like the, his eating habits were deplorable. Um, actually, you know, riles it takes a lot to rile me up. But I, I had to witness both of those meals firsthand, and I've never felt, never quite felt a rage like it. Um, so yeah, I think I think Cage has got a point. I think, you know, 
I think substitutions need to be allowed. I don't care what kind, how diners run their business in Las Vegas. If you are a Las Vegas resident and you are au fait with the inner workings of the of the Las Vegas diner, get in touch and let us know. I'm very interested to know. I will max out my credit card to come to a Las Vegas diner and swap <laughs> out a cheese as I see fit. Um, <laughs> if not, I'll be in the kitchen with a gun to the chef. <laughs> I'll be taking all your rum and cup Molotov cocktail in the kitchen like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> um, well, it's here that we, we get the story, right, of the bookkeeper, yes. James Sullivan, and the associate. Where, where like, on first watch, did it? Is this when it became apparent that he was James Sullivan, or were you still still in doubt? I don't think there was too much doubt about it at this point. Um, I think it was nice to get some more law because we're probably about 40 or so minutes in by the time we get to the diner. I think it was more interesting of like, I think trying to piece together on the first watch if the bookkeeper was Cage or Kinnaman and sort of who was who. Um, so I think the, the bookkeeper story, it kind of, it keeps getting broken up by more events. There's like the substitution events and then he's gone to the back to have a word with the chef and then there's the whole sort of confrontation in, in the, the flaming car park afterwards as well. Um, so I think I, I just I'm, I just about got the bookkeeper story at the start, and then when there was the reveal that uh, as Cage's character says that he was the bookkeeper all along, and this is kind of his whole thing about why he's uh, specifically seeking specifically seeking out I should say David's character. I was like. Okay, I mean, like I said, I didn't expect there was going to be a mind-blowing twist that was going to completely pull oh. the rug from under me, but so, yeah, yeah the, the story's pretty straightforward. It's moving in like a pretty linear direction. I can follow what's going on. That's cool. That's fine. Um, I think it took a second watch to get to, to piece together the story because it, obviously it is broken up as well. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the diet because the diner's got some of my favorite moments there's one cage pulls this face which is just like kind of yeah it's very like peter low-esque where he kind of like and it's he holds it for way too long and he's just kind of like it always looks like he's broken yeah and like it's 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 like terrifying and i think like at one moment as well like somebody tries to stand up and he just screams like set the fuck back down. Like he just kind of like loses it. And like my personal kind of highlight moment is when he goes over to the jukebox and puts on, um, puts on a, puts on a song and it's like, I like to, I like to boogie. I love the nightlife by Alicia Bridges. And I, I love the fact that it's obviously the song is written into it. You've got Cage singing and dancing and just like, that's what I was alluding to earlier. It's like, for us as an audience member, it's like, this is a bit of levity where it's like, if you were actually in a bar, like, or a diner, saw a guy like screaming at people and then did that, you would be like, I don't think I'm ever going to see my loved ones ever again. I just wanted a tuna melt. <laughs> now I'm about to get shot in the face. This is uh, another night in Vegas, baby. That That quote you mentioned, though, it goes back to one of his pet hates, which is being cut off. And um, David cuts him off again. Um, and the quote just preceding that was, you're always running off at the mouth. You got a motor mouth. There's a motorboat stuck in your mouth. Just shut up. 
And then he turns to that trucker who's um, across the way. He goes, set the fuck back down. <laughs> I was like, yes. That's what we come for. That's the price of admission right there. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, yeah, he goes and takes all their phones, right? He kind of, like, takes the truckers. Real ballsy move. He, ta- he takes the kitchen staffs and throws them in the fryer. Like, <laughs> Everything can be fried in this day and age. <laughs> they get, and then like, there's a, there's the mother and the child that walk in, but yeah, it's that, it's that, it's that crazy scene. He puts on the song um, "I Love the Nightlife" by Alicia Bridges on the jukebox. He's strutting about, he's singing, he's just like jabbing his gun everywhere, like the staying alive, like Saturday Night Fever, like kind of dance move things. Um, I would love to know if there were any other choices of songs, like whether that was like Cage is like. No, I can work with this one. If they said, like, we've got the, do you know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> you know at one point as well, the name of this film, they're like, so we are we going to have the Rolling Stones song in here at any point? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you imagine it's like, when he goes over to that jukebox, you kind of do expect, like, the kind of, like, rolling drums from that. Like, I believe I introduce myself, a man. <laughs> like, you expect, yeah, and it's like, no. We got the night life. We got the booger. And it's not, you know, outside of the title, not a Stones reference in sight. So either that's incredible restraint or the Rolling Stones <laughs> ask for a lot of money to have their own. Right. I think it's the latter, but like I've got to mention, there is a needle drop at the beginning of this film I absolutely love, which is Scott Walker's The Old Man's Back Again. Yes. Like, which kind of plays over, like, the, the title sequence yeah. at the beginning. as like, the driver is driving, like, such like a kind of epic song and it's like if you can't get the rolling stones like a bit of scott walker yes please like, it's like really like, and i think that the closing line to that song is hilarious it's like and his mother called him ivan and then she died it's like what a fucking ballsy song i've, I've got to say though you know say what you want about this film but the soundtrack's yeah like the actual, very fucking <laughs> it's very fucking good the actual score um which is by um ishai Ad, uh, adar is kind of it's, it's really great it's kind of like it's got like an industrial almost like nine inch nails vibe to it mm. and you really like there's a there's a particular kind of score cue once once the driver gets out of the diner and it's kind of in the car park and it is this kind of like yeah, all these squelchy electronics and stuff like that. And it's kind of like tension ramping, but not in that kind of like a box standard way. I, I, I kind of like the kind of, yeah, electronic, industrial, like, and it kind of feels very Las Vegas out in the middle of nowhere vibe to it. Like there is this, I don't know, this pulse of electricity throughout there, but then yeah. also this, this grungy darkness to it. Yeah, like I like this kind of like meshing of I think it goes back to what you said earlier though that it's not in the heart of Vegas and it's it is this darker side of Vegas sort of off the beaten track and you know what we're going to see isn't what we're going to be used to and things are going to be not quite the norm as well um and then you get like the blue lighting and the red lighting and then the soundtrack's very good um and then we've got you know we get we get the bit more of the bookkeeper's story um and and sort of piecing together the story as it is sort of pieced together in the film maybe it's um 
they work that I think is some kind of crime family that the bookkeeper works for, but then they have some associates who are sort of stealing money from this family, and then they call in. So I, th- I think it's Kinnaman's character who we learn they they call him to take care of the associate, but yeah, Cage, James Sullivan. yeah, but Cage's wife sees the execution happen. I think I think that's how it goes down, and then she comes a liability that they have to you know air quotes take care of. Um, then he sort of reveals like he he went out to do a supply run. He comes back, and then when he does. Uh, his house was on fire with his wife and daughter inside. And it was um, another one of these quite chilling, unhinged lines. And he's like, but what was like, what really got me? It was the, it was the rabbits. You ever heard a rabbit scream before? And he's got that lucky rabbit's foot with him as well, that he's like tapping on the desk when he's trying to get answers out of him. And I'm like, I've never heard a rabbit scream before. I don't think I want to hear a rabbit scream ever. I completely take you at, you at your word that this is a horrifying, horrifying event that you went through, and I can understand why you dyed your hair red. The only the only way I can think I've ever heard a rabbit scream is in Watership Down, but I've I've also buried those memories to like the recesses <laughs> of my mind because that that is not a film that should be for children. Yet is <laughs> no that image of that slow motion rabbit just like diving, and you just know it was going yeah. <laughs> Saying, yeah, you fucking rabbit prick <laughs> is, is what I uh, imagine was going down there um, he has a sort of interplay with the waitress as well I think the assumption is because <laughs> she, she's been she's been like a bit of a dick to him because she won't swap the cheese and she's like I'll tell you what I'll bring you a block of cheddar and I'll grate it for you under the table and when he starts killing people he finds her in like the bathroom stall he's like a uh, uh, Hey, Oli, you told me about the uh, cheese. Was that you being nice or were you being sarcastic? And she just cried saying, I was being a dick. And then he walks off and I think the assumption is that he let her live because I know he says that he has a rule that he doesn't kill mothers or children. Um, and the assumption is that he lets her live. But then he quickly starts Molotov in the kitchen and setting the entire diner on fire. So I assume she died in the flames because you don't see a leave or anything. You just see that she's left alone at that point. Yeah. Yeah, because we see the chef runs out the back and he shoots him, right? The trucker gets shot. We yeah. see that we see the mother and daughter run out. Yeah, I would have assumed that he would have let her live just because, I don't know, it's, it seems like, and it's this thing as well that he, and I think it's something that runs throughout the film, is he just wants honesty from people. And that's what yeah, he's kind of yeah. that's, that's his whole thing with the driver, right? So he just wants he just wants honesty, he wants the truth from him. And you you would you would think the kind of like what we gather of his moral code and compass is well, at least she has been honest with, with like with me, like in this situation. So I will let her live. Like maybe it is a kind of uh maybe it was just like something that they just forgot to film of her kind of running away or something do you know what I mean like maybe she did maybe I let, let, let's think optimistically about this Daryl I, I, I'm going to assume that she's she's thriving not 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 to the best of her life like because she's <laughs> she witnessed this harrowing event but at the same time like she she's getting by do you know what I mean she, she, she she's got herself into therapy and she's like that's it I'm never working the at the witching hour in a diner ever again 
I mean, quite the opposite, I have to assume. She's under some burning rubble right now, just dead, <sighs> perished, absolutely done uh, in a haze of Malibu rum Molotov cocktails. <laughs> is uh, what I have to assume there. But see, prior to it just burning down, um, the, the passenger kind of forces this confession from um, the driver, a.k.a. David, that he is James and was James all along. Um, and he sort of says that it's because he wanted to uh, see his lizard face, like I wanted to see your true face, your lizard face, and that's why he didn't tell him earlier who he was. He wanted to, I think like I said, he wants the honesty. He wants that confession um, that he feels like he's owed because he's, you know, skipping ahead a bit, but in their final scene together, sort of out in the desert, when um, Passenger, a.k.a. David, a.k.a. James, a.k.a. David again, is saying, you know, I got some closure tonight. I hope you, I hope you, you know, might have been able to get some closure as well. I think in a very perverse way, this is like two haunted people trying to confront their past to get that closure and be able to move on in very sort of perverse ways. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. obviously, like, the driver goes into that whole thing of like how he he moved away. He had problems with his firstborn, like didn't didn't make it, and then he saw that as punishment for what he had done. And then, like, he had his son, and then, like, he kind of felt like he was atoning for what he did. And it is this kind of, and I guess it's it's that thing, right? That if you ever live a life like that, like it, you can run away from it, but you you know ne- it's never done with you. Even if you're yeah. done with it, even if you're done with this life of crime, it it will it will come back to you in the way that yeah, like. Even if it's the smallest person you could have wronged, do you know what I mean? Like we see it in films like Carlito's Way. Like it's it's the it's the smallest of kind of characters in that who kind of comes back and eventually seeks revenge. And like, yeah, this is kind of that just boiled down into oh yeah, shit you. And but this is a big thing, like yeah, he's. And I think watching the second time, knowing the reveal, and I, I wanted to ask you about this, Daryl, is. James is a cold motherfucker. The fact that, like, mm. he he must have known from the moment he saw the passenger get in who he was, why he was here, and the fact he can just like lie and lie and lie. Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah, to the point it's like believe. Like, there are points you're like when he's like. I will say whatever you want. I'm like I'm not the guy you're looking for. Like you, but like you believe him. Like you kind of like right up until like kind of the final I don't know fifteen minutes. You are thinking, "Fuck, this is just a case of mistaken identity or somebody who is really troubled, just looking for somebody to take like his pain out on." And yeah. then when it is revealed, it's like it just really. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> You could like, I don't know, you could like imagine a version of this where like at the end we get like a montage of like when the the moments when the, the passenger is saying stuff to the driver, like the the moments we didn't see his face when he was driving, he's kind of like doing like a wry smile. Like, yeah. Like, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like recontextualizing everything we've seen. Like, it's kind of, yeah, kind of on a rewatch, I was like, 
oh, he really, he really fucking sells this. And it's, it is that thing. And I think it plays into the title, right? It's sympathy for the devil. And it's kind of like that rug pull at the end. It's like, well, you almost have sympathy for this guy who is literally the, the personification of the devil in Cage's character. But then you've also had sympathy throughout the whole film for a guy who like literally was the devil in a past life. Like his job was to like, uh, enact like vengeance and like go and like do you know what I mean be a fixer and kill people so it's that kind of like double-edged thing where yeah your your, your sympathies are kind of questioned like should you be feeling sympathetic towards either of these characters yeah that's kind of really things like I said before you know I don't think there was a massive um, surprise in the fact that you know Joel Kinnaman's character wasn't exactly who he said he was. Um, but then you know they've had that sort of fight and shootout in the diner, and they've driven back into the desert. The police are coming. Kinnaman's character sort of flipped the car, and there is that that sort of that cold-hearted reveal where. Um, David is sort of saying um, he admits that he killed the passenger's wife and daughter and he started drinking himself to death because he couldn't cope with it. And then they lost their firstborn. He's like, well, this was God evening the score. But then I got my first son and this was, I think he alludes to the fact that his first son was essentially the passenger's daughter reincarnated or something like that and giving him like a child back. And then I certainly think like on the, on, on the last viewings, well, second viewing as well, it kind of ties back into that quote you mentioned earlier, the whole, um, for the devil may start to envy those who suffer too deeply and throw them into heaven. Because it's, it's almost this thing like, in their own way, they've both been suffering so much that they've had to come out the other side of that and have this very twisted, uh, twisted sense of redemption. So by the end yeah. of it, he's like, Oh well, this this weight has been lifted, and that's th- that kind of unsettling thing of you know, he's choked out Cage's character and sort of killed him. The police are coming. He shoots like two police officers as well to sort of frame Cage's character further for that. And then he sort of sat by the by the car, just telling to himself, um, um, "I'm David Chamberlain. I'm David Chamberlain. I'm David Chamberlain." And then they turn up and he put his hands up and he's asking for help. And then and then the film ends. And it's like what you said as well. Like, I think it does enough at the end with that reveal, that sort of sort of reveal, I should say, really, where it's like, oh, like you're both pricks, or you you have been pricks in previous life. Obviously, you're both still hurting, um, but they've been keeping up this life for so long, and it sort of ties into that quote, ties into this title of the film that both of them have been through hell. Both of them are are sort of devils in their own way as well. But then they both of them sort of feel, I don't know, sort of, sort of righteous in this sort of path of revenge and redemption that they're taking as well. And it gives you that sort of food for thought, like, Oh, well, I, I, I guess it, I guess I hope he makes it to the hospital in time for the daughter, for his, for his daughter's birth. Yeah. It's so weird. Like I, I remember like the first time watching it as well. And like, when the two cops are shot, I was like, well, the last we seen of Cage, he was kind of like, do you know what I mean? Like, fucked from the crash. Mm-hmm. And then it was it was kind of a bit of a shock. I was like, oh, fuck. It's David who's done that. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah. Like, and yeah. I think that solidified it to me right then that like, oh no, the, he, he is the guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, and you get hints of it as well, right? Like there's that moment where he pops his shoulder back into place and he's like, what kind of blue collar scumbag can do that? And he's yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, I, I think there's, there's enough small hints peppered throughout um to sort of bring it to i'd say it's quite a satisfying conclusion you know i'd yeah. i think overall th- this was this was like a f- like a fun sort of like you know dark and slightly humorous thriller it had some elements of like um sort of the flashiness to it and i would say overall like i did enjoy this i think if we're speaking honestly i don't know that it's going to be on anyone's you know, top 10 movie lists at the end of the year, but for what it is, and for a complete distraction from Barbenheimer as well, this is not the worst way to spend 90 minutes of your time. And I, well, I'll and watch I'm, it again. Well, and it's, it's kind of, this is the type of film that people say aren't really made anymore. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't yeah. think it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't think it's like all out schlock. Do you know what I mean? Like, at all like it's got some i don't know it's got elements of it like with the kind of big cagey quote stuff and stuff like that but like i think it's just like a kind of taut kind of adult thriller like that kind of knows its budget and uses it really well to just make something that's kind of really tight and yeah like tense and it's like that's what you want that's that's sometimes what you want i mean it's perfect kind of like friday saturday night kind of i mean well i mean bit moody it's raining outside like get get this on like after a couple of beers or whatever and you absolutely love it yeah i mean you know cage is 2023 so far we've had uh, the old way renfield now we've got sympathy for the devil as well um we could have the retirement plan coming up and i'll and say like i enjoyed the old way i really i really really enjoyed sort of renfield i enjoyed this mm-hmm. as well so as far as i am concerned um this is a three for three output of positive, you know, thumbs up cage movies for me. Yeah. 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 It's just turned out to be like a considering, yeah, on my podcast earlier this year, we, we had a conversation about like, what does the future entail for cage? And like, so far this has been, yeah, like a banny, like a kind of great year. Well, we only got one cage film last year. And we, as you said, like on this year, we're hitting free for free. Will we hit four for four? I mean, only time will tell. Well, September's uh, just around the corner at the time of recording, so we will see what happens with the retirement plan. But yeah, I think overall, you know, if I I mean, I suspect this film is probably going to get something of a limited release. Um, But if you get a chance to check out Sympathy for the Devil, definitely do so. It's a fun, it's a fun way to spend ninety minutes. Um, Cage. You know, not to try and overhype it too much and give the wrong impression, but Cage does give one of his most quotable performances in years. Uh, Joel Kinnaman is great. He's he's solid throughout this. This is a two-person movie. I think it does like the right amount of humor, the right amount of tension. Um, and this is this is like fun. This is a good movie. You'll have a good time with it. Um, so you know, if you can check this one out, if it's local to you or on demand or I think the Blu-ray's just been announced to come out towards the end of September 2023 as well. So try and pick this one up. Um, certainly certainly go and check it out, I would say. It's a, a, a thumbs up from this guy. 
And a thumbs up from this guy as well. But before before we wrap things up, Daryl, a few questions I always ask on the pod. Uh, one of them is being, just, we've talked about Cage's hair in this. Is it good? Is it good hair? Or is it bad? Does he have bad hair? You know what? You know what? I think it's the first time we've seen Cage with colourful hair. So I'm going to say, broadly speaking, it's good. It's it's yeah. at this time he's he's got a good cut. It works for him. I, I like the red hair. I think it's 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 different. It's one of the most different hair that we've had. And then we did have a period of time when I think it was it was just dyed jet black for some of the straight to DVD fare. Um, I would arguably put it up there. And I know I always joke about this on the podcast of doing a. Um, um, a, a definitive Nicolas Cage hair ranking at some point. But I would say, obviously without di- re-diving into all his movies, that this is the potential for some top 10 Cage hair. It's good. It's, it's, it's a little bit on the nose with the title of the film and the character. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's the devil, man. Let's go red hair. Let's go. Like, it's the like, devil, baby. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I got to agree with you. Like, there's nothing egregious about it. Like, it's kind of, Apart from the kind of on the nose stuff, it's kind of like I like it. He took a punt and he kind of like looks looks wild, like with it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, took a risk and it paid off. I say. <laughs> the second one, and I, I, I think this one's going to be. Uh, does he do a crazy voice again? Something we've kind of talked about, but is it is it crazy? Is it is it crazy or we? Because you know what I'm talking about. Obviously, is it, this isn't in the realms of Peter Lowe or the Peggy Sue got married voice. I mean, it's not quite as nasally as that, or sort of full Peter Lowe. And I don't think it'd be fair of me to say, yeah, the Boston accent is crazy. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a, it's a crazy, crazy accent. I mean, well, it's, it's, it's only crazy when I do it. <laughs> it's only crazy when pretenders like us try to do it. I mean, I wouldn't say it's crazy, but he does have sort of those. You know, cage inflections that we that we've come to know so well. So, and you know, it's yeah, you know, it's not really a sliding scale to say yes or no in the crazy voice. I would lean towards yes because what he does with it is crazy, but the Boston accent in of itself is not crazy. Yes, 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 yes. And the last one, I think, I think everyone knows the answer to this one. As soon as I ask it, does he freak out in this movie? Well, if some of the quotes that we have down have not quite <laughs> sold it for you. Uh, yes, yes, and yes. There are some good cage freakouts in this. If you've been missing, uh, and you've you've been wanting for a cage freakout for some time, this is the movie to jump back in on. Like as we've said, like all jokes aside, probably about twenty percent of my notes on the movie are just uh, just cage quotes in this one as well. So yes, I say yes to the hair, yes to the voice, yes to the freakout. Three for three films, three for three on the questions. Let's fucking go. Let's go. Let's go. Great, great. Well, that's that's that business done and dusted. Delightful. So obviously with that, uh, the big questions out of the way, it is time to wrap up here on this episode and covering Sympathy for the Devil, um, another you know, I'm going to say another good cage film for 2023. So as we wrap up here, obviously I'd love to say, uh, Petros, but still of us, thank you very, very much for joining. A pleasure as always. And for the listeners, now where, where can we find you and what are you up to? What's going on? 
you can find me on all the usual places so spotify apple Podcasts, all that with the with the pod which is caged in uh which is like well yeah t- like take just unadvertently take a little bit of a hiatus just while whilst i sorted out some dental issues and uh uh, been busy with the other podcast, uh, Getting Defoe You, which uh, I host along with yourself, Daryl, which is a lot of fun. We're kind of in the throes of our first season and it's kind of been an absolute hoot to record that. I'm looking forward to getting the rest of that out for everyone to hear and kind of um, get involved. Yeah, so if you're not listening to that, listen to that but you can find both of those on all all the socials whatever they're called at this point so you can find caged in at caged in pod and you can find getting defoe you at defoe you pod on all of those places so yeah just get involved jump aboard the defoe commotion train hop on that carriage that's marked caged in as well and we'll have a party (laughs) amazing see on these trains the journey if you are on the journey to true cage nirvana or you're on the defoe commotion train we have intermingling carriages and all the more room for everyone who wants to get on board so all the links in the description as ever it's left me to say thanks again to petros for joining a pleasure as always we will catch you in the next one but until then, and as always, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. And there you have it. Sympathy for the devil is in the bag. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you enjoyed the film, if you've had a chance to see it as well. Obviously, a spoiler-filled episode. We wanted to leave it... Uh, a few days, about a week after the film came out, just to give people a chance to see it as well. So it gave us the ability to dive into that one in full spoilerific detail. But like I said, really enjoyed that one. Obviously a good chance it's going to get swallowed a little bit by Barbie and Oppenheimer at the time of release, but uh, I think it's, I think there's a lot of cage, uh, caginess, a lot of cage caginess in there to enjoy. So I hope you'll find something in there to enjoy as well. Now, moving on to next week, we will be bringing you, finally, the episode on Renfield. The episode is recorded. It is coming soon. I was joined by the returning Lauren Melisi to discuss Renfield. It was a lot of fun to have Lauren back on the podcast, and I'm very excited for you to hear all that one as well. So to keep in touch, keep abreast of all things Cage Rage, Again, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all the usual suspects, all the links in the description down below. And if you've enjoyed the episode, feel free to like it, share it, retweet it, uh, give it a five-star rating on your listening platform of choice. Helps the podcast grow, helps more people find it, and you'll be doing your bit to support a little old independent podcast as well. But we shall see you next week for more Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage podcast. Take care. Bye bye. Until then. Until then.